The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. It's time now for Remembering Desert Storm and Desert Shield. And we've got our host on the line, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. And uh, Phil, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, David. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm running behind on everything, it looks like. But uh, other than that, I'm doing fine. I'm well and happy, and that's all that you can ask for these days, you know? And uh, I had thought I had meant to call you a few minutes earlier and uh, got tied up on some other stuff and just forgot. But I was thinking, uh, you know, after we do our our little thing of uh, a moment of, of silence for our veterans and for our folks that are in the service right now and the EMTs across the country, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll uh, talk about history, and you're quite a historian and have an incredible memory, but we're going to take just a second and just a minute, I should say, and in a thoughtful moment of those that have served, those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice, and those that are serving. We'll be right back. Thank you for uh, taking a, a few seconds to uh, remember our fallen heroes and um, those that uh, 
protect us day in and day out. Our, I have a real problem these days with the uh, number of police that are being shot for no, absolute no reason at all. Not that there's ever a good reason to shoot a, an officer that's protecting us, but I just... I'm at a loss for what's what's been going on. And since I've messed up and we're running behind, we're going to just get right into the show. And, Phil, what I was thinking about, and you, you've heard me say this a number of times over the past uh, however long it's been, that um, our veterans are really our history books today. And, you know, I was wondering, and I haven't had a chance to go and and, uh, really look into this, but one of the reasons that we do Desert Shield, uh, remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, is the fact that it's only been 30 years, and yet so many people have already, if you ask them what Desert Shield or Desert Storm was all about, they'd have no clue. And I find this very repugnant, and the fact that men and women gave their lives to protect us in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I just wondered, and and maybe you can answer this, Phil, I don't know, but uh, I just wondered, I know that World War II gets about three pages in the school history books now, which I find appalling. And I don't even know if Desert Shield and Desert Storm were mentioned. Do you happen to know that, Phil? And, uh, Phil. Phil, are you with me? Well, no, he's not, as a matter of fact. So let's let's try this one more time. I'm going to play a couple of spots, and uh, we'll be right back to it right after this. I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to try it one more time. And, uh, Phil, have we got you on the line this time? Colonel Farsberg. Yes, sir. Okay, we've got you on the line now. So, anyway, uh, as we were having a little problem there between... uh, our two tin cups and a string. Uh, Good morning and welcome oh, to America's what? Web Radio. This is... <laughs> that was another little glitch in the process. But anyway, okay, we're talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I, I asked the question, and I don't have the answer, but I do know that in many junior high school, grade school, junior high schools, 
I can't address uh, high schools, but, um, you know, World War II barely even gets three pages. And I'm just wondering if you can answer, if you happen to know, and I didn't do the checking I should have, but do you know if Desert Shield and Desert Storm even are mentioned in history books at this point? Well, I don't know. I hadn't taken a look at a textbook in a long time. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, you know, when I was when I was in high school in the 1970s, uh, we pretty much everything sort of uh, coasted to a stop around the end of World War II. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is uh, <clears throat> because they, they were reusing textbooks as long as they possibly could. But secondly, uh, because... You know, the more recent the history is, the more sort of uh, uh, subjective it is, especially to the author. Um, I I talked to a fellow one time, he was reading a a book about some pretty ancient history, and I said, well, that was a long time ago. He said, I I never read anything that was written about uh, history in the last hundred years, because it's it's just got too much opinion in it. Very interesting. Huh. But, you know, that makes sense. And certainly in uh, today's world of, uh, quote, end quote, air quotes, news, that's all you get. You don't really get the news. You get some reporter's opinion or some producer's opinion as to uh, opposed to the uh, the real thing. And that's that's a shame. And that's not what news is all about, you know. News is news, reporting on what is happening or what has happened. And, um, you know, how... I don't know how we've gotten to this point other than maybe, uh, you know, when I was with a large radio station many years ago, it, uh, you know... David, I'm having a real hard time hearing you. Well, how's that? Better. Okay, so anyway... um, when I was with the large radio station, literally there would be days that um, just things didn't happen, whether it was on a national basis or on a local basis. And I don't want to say that we would make up anything, but we certainly had to grasp for straws to fill our nightly news and uh, or our afternoon news even. So, well, I think that the 24-hour news cycle... Um, 24-hour news presentation is just too much. Um, you know, there's just not not that much that people care about. And when they uh, when they get to, to uh, <clears throat> a story that's you know very deep, they'll spend days and days on it. And then other days, you know, they're covering uh, somebody's dog who does a funny trick. <laughs> that's and about it. Just, just tells you that. <clears throat> there, uh, there's not all that much that's important out there. Well, unfortunately, right now it seems to be all they cover is uh, a bunch of shoots and then blame it on the guns. And uh, you know, it's it's very unusual, and the situation and today is very unusual, and our politics are very unusual, and. Um, you know, the reporters, or well, the very few reporters, the uh, 
the host of uh, the nightly news for our cast uh, and their producers make it up. Or they don't necessarily make it up, but they embellish a small thing and make it into a big thing and talk about it as long as they can. So this is important, and the reason I brought it up is that it's so important for all vets and the vets that are listening right now and the vets that will listen to the show later on is that you are our history books and it's so important to take your kids or your grandkids or whatever the situation might be, your next door neighbor kids and tell them what you did when you served in whatever branch it was and why you served and why you decided to serve and give them the history class. This is one thing that I really, really admire about the uh, JRROTC groups, that uh, they take up where a lot of schools and teachers are slacking off. And uh, they pick up the civics, they pick up the the talk about our flag and many other subjects, and I really, really respect them from Noonan up and down Georgia, where they have the junior ROTC organizations. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think the the real value in uh, the junior ROTC is the citizenship that they teach. A good friend of mine that uh, that graduated Army Flight School with me. Uh, runs the uh, junior ROTC program for uh, uh, a, a local school here in uh, in Cherokee County and uh, he's uh, he's quite a guy uh, uh, both my sons have gone through his program uh, in high school and uh, they both did very very well and learned a lot of things uh, from him and I'm very glad to that he had mentored my sons. That's that's super, and I would almost make a bet that we've had him on the show, or had him on a show at one time or the other. Um, but that's you know, this it's a shame that they have to take time away from what they're there for, or really there for. But at the same time, it's good that the kids learn it, and uh, we've. Uh, talked about this in the office with other veterans that have come in and other shows that we've done that you know today and and not only kids but these are college students and uh david i'm still having a real real hard time hearing you i'm sorry phil i've got it as high as i can go okay and maybe you can turn your telephone up or something um but anyway, the uh, we've talked about the fact that we have a number of flags in, and we have one folded, uh, the, the military fold. We have uh, flags on our walls and so forth. And very few millennials or kids or anybody else, well, a number of anybody else's, can even explain what the stripes mean, what the stars initially meant, and what they still mean. And... Uh, you know, I, I'm. It just blows me away that they can't do it. And uh, what? Anyway, um, 
it always is very baffling to me why uh, why we're not teaching the civics that we used to and how important it is and that now it's really up to the veterans to teach their grandkids and their kids in my opinion are you hearing me okay now Phil yeah if you back away from the microphone I won't hear you I promise well I'm as <laughs> I'm as close to it as I can get so okay I I don't know what, and we've got everything piped up or pumped up as high as we can go, so without uh, getting a lot of feedback and uh, other problems. So, um, you know, we'll we'll talk about it after the show or something. Um, anyway, so it's very important for the uh, for the veteran to. Talk about what they did and why they decided to serve, and uh, if they can get their kids that are of junior high and high school age to go into a junior ROTC program, I think it would be fantastic. Yep, uh, it's good to teach a citizenship, pretty much. Well, you know, this is something that uh, the military does and does very well. And it it teaches discipline. It teaches uh, not only discipline, but it, it, it the military teaches a lot that it never gets credit for, in my opinion. <clears throat> well, I, you know, I agree. Uh, of course... You know, we're not really out there to take credit. We're just out there. What, I'm not, I won't say we because I'm not serving anymore, but, uh, you know, they're there for, to protect our nation. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like I would, again, venture to say because of our textbooks and so forth that a lot of... A lot of young people think the military, well, it's only for carrying a gun and shooting people. Or it's only for, you know, and they don't understand since day one of our country the importance of the militia, the military, and what all, you know, and, and uh, we're, we're probably going to have a, or potentially we could have, a problem with a clause in the Constitution called posse comitatus. Posse comitatus? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's... Uh, I, I could tell you about posse comitatus for sure. Uh, well, the, the thing is we can't use the military for police. But go ahead and tell us about it, Phil. Well, the Posse Comitatus Act uh, was uh, passed into law, signed into law, in uh, 1878, uh, what had happened was uh, in in the Reconstruction uh, period uh, after our Civil War, the election of 1876, uh, <clears throat> there were two two candidates running. The Republican was Rutherford B. Hayes, and the uh, the Democrat was the former governor of New York, Samuel Tilden. And uh, I think South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida all certified 
two sets of electoral votes, um, and some for the Republican and some for the Democrat. And uh, the Supreme Court basically uh, said that no, in each case, the the Republican uh, they accepted the the votes of the Republican Party and or for the Republican Party, and uh, if any of those three states had uh, gone the other way, then uh, then the election the, would have elected uh, Samuel Tilden. And so uh, some of the uh, Southern Democrats in Congress wanted to, uh, their, their complaint was that the, the election had been tainted because they used uh, the army to guard the polling places because of Reconstruction, and uh, therefore uh, former Confederates who had been paroled and pardoned by uh, Abraham Lincoln, but uh, the, the former Confederates felt, the, the argument was that they felt intimidated and didn't vote. Uh, and so uh, they passed this law that, it's a very simple law, it just says Whoever shall use the army to enforce the law shall be in violation of this act. And it uh, was only uh, modified one time in 1955, I believe, to include the Air Force. Whoever shall use the army or the Air Force hmm. uh, to enforce the law shall be in violation. So uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the uh, Navy and Marine Corps Coast Guard are not uh, not in the uh, uh, the act, and of course in uh, in 1878 up until 1947, uh, the Navy was a separate department from the War Department, which became the Department of the Army, uh, and so they were exempt mostly because their coastal activities and of course you want the the coast guard to be able to enforce laws and you want the navy to be able to repel invaders on the shore or or pirates or whatever so uh they were left out but the uh the uh congress directed the secretary of defense to impose internal regulations on the navy and marine corps that uh essentially do the same thing. They don't do law enforcement. But <clears throat> given the nature of those services, uh, it's a lot different. But uh, so now the question comes about the National Guard. And quite frankly, the National Guard, uh, when they are the state militia, um, are not the Army and so or the Air Force. And so they uh, can do law enforcement. But it all depends if they're being paid by federal dollars, in which case they are considered the Army or the Air Force, or if they're being paid by an appropriation from the state legislature, in which they're the militia, and then they can, uh, they can enforce the law because they belong to the governor at that point. But the Army Reserve can never be used because they're only ever paid with federal dollars. Where did the name come from? Posse comitatus is a Latin term that means the power of the county. Hmm. I had no idea, but I knew you would. 
knew you would. Well, I think we're going to, um, you know, have a situation of it all depends. Obviously, uh, Governor Abbott has called out the Texas National Guard, and I underline the word Texas because, like you said, it's under Texas law right now, not federal law. But uh, Governor Abbott has called out the Texas National Guard to help uh, guard our borders, guard the border between Mexico and Texas, because the federal government isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, I guess all of that could change in a moment if uh, Biden federalized the Texas National Guard, like happened so many times in the 50s during the Civil Rights movements, the 50s and the, and the 60s, where Mississippi would call out the National Guard, and as soon as one foot touched the street, well, the president would federalize them. And, uh, yeah, of course. Uh so in that case, the president called the National Guard of that state into, or certain units into service of the United States, which, in which case they become the army and they're no longer the militia. Uh, it's all very technical. Now, if you recall, uh, and probably some of your listeners were not born then, but uh, and time goes by, but after 9/11 of 2001. You found uh, the National Guard in full battle rattle with their weapons uh, in the airport terminals. Yes, sir. And, uh, they were definitely enforcing the law, uh, and what they had to work out was a man- method by which those National Guard soldiers were paid by their state legislatures out of an appropriation from their state legislatures, and then quietly that our national government would reimburse the states for their manpower. I started to say because an airport's not a a state airport. Well, it, it could be. Uh, it's not it's not, you know, federal property, but uh, you know, depending on the airport, but the uh, <clears throat> but the law enforcement is definitely it doesn't matter if they're enforcing state law or federal law or whatever. Um they, uh, they can do that if they're the militia. But they cannot do that if they're the Army or the Air Force. Right. Well, I think there are going to be some interesting challenges going on in the near future regarding that. But uh, time will tell. That's their chill and desert storm. And how do you feel about the textbooks and what should be written about the the Gulf War in general. Uh, well, <clears throat> I heard a lot of people, and this is just my personal perspective. Everybody's uh, everybody's view is, is different and colored by their own experience. But I'll tell you what was colored by my experience, and that's um, there were a lot of folks that were upset that we didn't drive all the way to Baghdad. We came home, and they had parades for us and threw confetti on us and marching bands and, you know, uh, girls coming up and giving us kisses, and that was, that was wonderful. There were others that said, well, you didn't finish the job. <clears throat> well, first of all, 
your uh, armed forces do not determine what the job is. The commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy is the president, according to the Constitution. So he determines when the mission's done and when the mission's not done. And so uh, what he had been doing, uh, trying to build a coalition to go and do this, was uh, <clears throat> he was, you know, getting uh, authorization from Congress. Now, if you recall, the president at the time was George Herbert Walker Bush, or sometimes known as Bush 41, and uh, he had made a campaign promise, which is very famous, uh, which was, read my lips, no new taxes, if you recall that. Right. Uh, Phil, on, on that note, let everybody think about it a minute, and we're going to take our, our break, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg right after a couple of messages. Stay right. tuned. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday. Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. And we want to invite everybody to uh, be listening and be looking at our website as well as our Facebook pages. Uh, as many of you have kept track of it and know about uh, the uh, convoy that uh, the truckers put on in Canada recently, and uh, that's still going on and will be going on in courts, but... Uh, uh, we will be, as far as we know at this point, the only ones covering a uh, convoy that's going to be taking place, as we understand it, the latter part of this week. They're having a big uh, meeting of the of the people that are putting it together, and we have a representative, Mike, Michael Gano, that's in Israel, that will be uh, covering that for us and letting us know what's happening with the convoy in Israel and both of these convoys are called freedom convoys, uh, trying to get away and get the governments to change their mandates. And, um, you know, truckers were having to go into Canada and prove they, they had been vaccinated or they couldn't get in. And, um, same way in many cases, even tighter in Israel right now. So, We'll uh, keep you posted on that, and stay tuned, and we'll let you know how things are going. With that being said, let's get back to our show, Desert, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and um, the importance of our veterans telling their families what they did and what they remember about Desert Shield and Desert Storm, as well as veterans in general, just talking to their kids and letting them know 
what the military is really all about. Uh, Phil, I, I would be interested, and I, I'm going to try to find out, if any of the textbooks today mention Desert Shield and Desert Storm. <laughs> well, I guess maybe once I start having some grandkids, that maybe they'll bring it home and talk to me about it. <laughs> and I have had uh, uh, a number of students call me up and ask if uh, I'd be available to do a veteran interview for a project they're doing at school. And I'm always interested in doing that. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. And uh, how do they, I'm just curious, how do they generally get your name? Uh, well, it's the same school where my, my boys went to uh, high school. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, the you know, and uh, it's affiliated with, with uh, my church. I go to Faith Community Church in, in uh Woodstock, Georgia, uh, fine church, and uh, the um, the people that uh, you know a lot a lot of folks go there. They they know me from church, and they they know mostly they don't know me as a veteran, but word of mouth gets out. Sure, and uh, you know I. I don't know where this came from, and maybe again, yeah, you have a have a better, better grasp on things than I do. But um, you know, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and uh, our minister, as I recall from day one, we always had a flag in the church, in the sanctuary, and you know if something happened and fortunately nothing did happen during the, my early years but uh, if there were a situation the minister would speak up and say something about it and uh, you know today it, it's not interesting it's a shame but uh, when we look to our religion and it doesn't matter which religion, it's any religion, really, that you look to the leader of that church or whatever it happens to be and, and look, for, look to them for inspiration. And now they can't say anything for fear of losing any kind of federal money or tax exemption. And uh, I think that's, you know, they're, they're, everybody always talks about separation of church and state. That's not to be found in the Constitution. That was a letter written and had nothing to do with the Constitution. There is no such reference as far as uh, there shall be separation of church and state. So, you know, it's a shame that uh, our church leaders can't be more expressive in some of their views. Well, um... No, you're right about separation of church and state is not a uh, uh, a quote or anything you'll find verbatim in the in the Constitution. And but there is a principle of it in the, in the First Amendment. But you know the idea behind it was that uh, the church or various religions would would be protected from the state not the state protected from these various states. So um, it's 
It simply says, Congress shall make no law establishing religion or the practice of it. And uh, so if it really doesn't involve Congress, then it really doesn't involve the First Amendment. And, it, and that came directly from England, the Church of England. Yeah, well, there you know, there are a number of churches that uh, get deep into um, the, the political and the secular, and they really need to stay in their lane. And, uh, you know, I'm all for people of faith voting their conscience, but I don't want... Uh, our government to tell me how and where and when to worship. Exactly. So I, you know, I, uh, I still am a big, big believer in our Constitution, and I think it's uh, it's an amazing document and should be. I have, again, I have no idea how much, I know that we had to learn the preamble and uh, we knew the difference between the uh, Declaration of Independence and we knew the difference between that and the Constitution, which a lot of folks don't know these days. And uh, I think they're both extremely important documents and our Constitution, I, I just, I marvel at our founding fathers that they were able to write such a document and uh, that we've lived by it for 240 years it's just it's incredible and I think that again uh, the grandpa or the the father should get his kids up on his lap and and talk to him about the constitution and what this country is all about and why they decided to serve and what it means to serve. And uh, I think if we don't keep this up, we're going to continue to lose in many areas of our country, which will be devastating. So, back to Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Um, it, I, if there is a history teacher that happens to be listening and can answer the question, I would appreciate an email at gm at americaswebradio.com regarding what you have in the textbooks. We also might, uh, the individual that you were talking about, Phil, that's the leader of the uh, Junior ROTC, maybe we could get him back on and... Uh, talk about it and see what he has to say about what's in, in or not in our textbooks. Well, I, you know, I could talk to him. He's, he's a good friend of Rick White, by the way. And like I said, I, I believe we've had him on a couple of times. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was talking about, because uh, you asked me about my perspective on uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm or what ought to be in the, in the textbook. You know, uh, Bush 41, he had uh, he had made a promise, a campaign promise of no new taxes. Right. And uh, when it came down to uh, getting the funding for uh, our operation, um, the Democrats were the majority in Congress, and they pressured him. Uh, the, they threatened to withhold funding for our operation 
if he didn't raise certain taxes. And when he finally agreed to it, they jumped on him with both feet to uh, insist that he had broken a campaign promise, which they had compelled him to do. And I thought that was pretty underhanded. Uh, and another thing was that, you know, everybody was casting aspersions on his motivations. And uh, they said that he just had a vendetta against Saddam Hussein. <clears throat> and they backed him into a corner where he had to say that the only thing, our only objective was to get Saddam out of Kuwait. And so we're not, when Saddam pulled out of Kuwait, we had to come home uh, because we had made that a point. We had we had kind of tied his hands there, and so we came home. And I was happy to come home, but of course it led to other problems. You know, this is a problem that we have in a lot of situations is that uh, we get a part of the story and we don't get all of the story. And, uh, you know, as, as it wound up, obviously, we were there for many, many more years, which, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And Yeah, I had a fellow call me the other day and tell me that his... Uh his son was going to Iraq. And, uh, you know, I got to pray for him and, uh, and for his family. Thank you. Uh, my, yes, we still have very much of a presence in Iraq. But if we, had, you know, if we didn't have our hands tied, we were already there. We had all our stuff and we had all our stuff. We hadn't, the Soviet Union hadn't fallen apart and we hadn't, you know, had an insistence on beating our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. <laughs> so we were much better equipped to deal with Saddam at that point. We could have kept the momentum going. We could have get driven through him. And, uh, but we, uh, we had been, uh, hamstrung by, uh, political adversaries and uh, you know as I've said many times my greatest hero military hero Sherman. Is, uh, American military heroes William Tecumseh Sherman and his two biggest uh, things he hated were uh, newspapers uh, the news media and uh, politicians and politics and uh, I got a I'm 100% with him <laughs> And it, you know what's what? It hadn't changed. Nope. It was quite prescient. It, uh, and we'll probably change. With that, we're going to have to take our next break, and uh, we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg right after a couple of messages. Stay tuned. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. 
Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your healthcare freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so so, 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 so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're listening to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And as I said at the beginning of the program, we do these veteran shows, and we do a number of different ones. And we do them so people will never forget our veterans. And we also honor our first responders. And, again, I've said it many times, we're a nation of first responders. And as a nation... We are always the first to respond to a tragedy, a, a national disaster of some sort, be it here on our soil or on many countries around the world. That we've, We're always first to help. And I think this is one of the things that makes me proud to be an American. And uh, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> during World War II, the number of countries involved that, you know, were looking for old glory to show up. And we responded, and old glory did show up. And, you know, as I said that, I wonder how many people have forgotten what old glory stands for or was. They've never heard the name old glory, maybe. Yeah, well, I love her flag and what it represents. Uh, I was very glad to have it affixed to my uniform. You know, prior to Desert Storm, we didn't have it uh, affixed to our uniform. And uh, then one day, all these flag patches showed up, and they they got sewn on our uniform. Yeah. It was a new thing for us, so we we were very happy to have them. That's good, and uh, I'm glad they're on the uniforms today. And, you know, I've always wondered, and I, I don't really want to find out, but if I ever came across somebody not honoring our flag, burning it or doing whatever, I don't know what I would do. And uh, I just... Uh, for all of the young people, and again, we uh, we say this for all of the young people that are graduating from high school or graduating from college and haven't decided what to do, please take a look at the military. I can almost guarantee you there is a position for you in the military that will that you you may be interested in who knows what counting fish, 
well, the Navy probably has a position for you. And electronics and so many other things. And the leadership that you will gain by being in the military is worth thousands. And when you put on your resume that you you have an honorable discharge from whatever branch, the HR knows that you're a person that can take responsibility, take orders, and give orders. And so I just highly, highly recommend it. With that, I want to bring out something about what you do, Phil, and that is as a service officer for the DAV. And, you know, I I put a Facebook whatever up today post and to me this is deplorable are you aware of the fact phil that the personnel record office is still closed uh well i hadn't heard of it opening i know it's been closed for a couple of years now yes sir since march of since the 29th of march 2020 and what people don't understand is that it's killing folks when you're needing information that only they have out of your 201 file or out of your military experience file that uh, if you don't get it and they're not giving it this is absolutely a disgrace and if anybody's got I have contacted Warnock I've contacted uh Macbeth, Bath, or whatever her name is, and uh, Isoff. Oh yeah, we're aware of it, and we're we're we're, you know, we're we're talking to them. Well, they're not talking very loud or something. This is absolutely outrageous, in my opinion. There's no reason for it at this point, and they should take the act that Reagan did for the air traffic controllers. As far as I'm concerned, they should have already replaced the morons that have not been working but drawing their check. So, Phil, if you have any ideas or if anybody, anyone that's listening has an idea of who we can go to and who we can contact about getting this open, uh, those records are essential to every veteran and it's more than just veterans they have records on civilians as well yeah well uh, and you know what's what's really bad is uh, another another thing that I think is really bad is the fact that uh, veterans don't know what they're what they're entitled to and um I worked with a young man this week uh, who is deeply in debt because uh, he went to the uh, emergency room when he had an accident. His uh, little finger was almost severed and uh, was only hanging on by a little piece of flesh. Bone was severed, muscle was severed, and so he uh, <clears throat> he called the VA for help. Who was 
preparing who was, you know, responsible for his medical care. And uh, they told him that in six weeks he could get an appointment with his primary care doctor who could give him a referral for another six weeks later he could go to see an orthopedic surgeon. Now this fellow's looking at his finger dangling off and uh, I told him, you should have gone to the emergency room. He said, I did. And he said, that's why I'm such in debt. He got a $7,000 bill from the folks who treated him. And of course, they're entitled to their payment. But he was completely ignorant when I told him that the VA is responsible to pay that emergency room bill for him. And uh, so I made him promise to get me the bill and we'll get the, we'll get that paid. Hmm. Well, a fellow that got bit on the foot by a shark, and uh, they had to life flight him because he was losing so much blood. He got a bill for $42,000, but he was a veteran. He submitted that claim to the VA, and they refused to pay it. But he got uh, Barry Loudermilk involved, our congressman up here, and um, the VA paid $42,000 paid. You know, this... Again, this is why we do a lot of the veteran shows. And, and uh, you know, anytime, anytime you want to talk about what you just mentioned, we'll, we'll forego Desert Shield and Desert Storm if we can get the message out of two veterans and their families to talk to a service officer and where can service officers be found? You can uh, contact the local chapter of your disabled American veterans. If you go to DAV.org, you can look up before, uh, find a chapter near you. They have an interactive map. They'll give you contact number. Um, similar for the American Legion, similar for the VFW. I'm members of all three of those. Um, but I work as a service officer for the Disabled American Veterans. Um, and uh, the state of Georgia, uh, we have the Georgia Department of Veterans Service. Um, they have offices throughout the state and paid employees that help veterans get their uh, benefits. And then uh, virtually every state, I think, except two, and I won't mention them out of a fear of being wrong, but most <laughs> States have a state agency that helps veterans deal with VA, and uh, so you can look those up. Um, and then, of course, you can find out, you know, if you got some time uh, and, you know, you got some interest, uh, you can go to VA.gov and uh, list of the benefits that you might be entitled to. And if you don't understand what you're looking at and you want to talk to somebody about it, I'd say find, find yourself a service officer, one of these organizations. And we, and we don't just do service to the veterans, but also to uh, their surviving unremarried spouses and uh, dependent children. And something I'd like to throw in is that, uh, and it's changed tremendously, but veterans of the Guard and Army Reserve now have rights that they didn't have before. Not not as a veteran that served in country, 
but they have been granted some rights that uh, do you go into some of that as well Phil? Yeah sure we looked that up uh, additionally I got a couple of friends who uh, were injured uh, playing sports at uh, the military academy and uh, they had no idea that they were entitled to file a claim for those injuries but it, they're covered under the law that's super, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of folks will give the shrug and say, well, you know, that's taking advantage, and, you know, no, that's, you know, people don't understand that when you raise your right hand, you're signing a blank a blank check for your life. Yeah, and, it, you know, anybody who, who served in uniform and, and signed up, and it doesn't matter if guard or reserve or active, you know, when you uh, swore that oath, signed that contract, you put yourself in a situation that I realized, you know, it's perfectly okay for your employer to get you killed. And uh, so, you know, most folks don't have that kind of relationship with their employer. So, um, <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. So, uh, no legitimate employers anyway. Yeah. But, you know, you... You basically become their slave. You do they. You do whatever they say, and uh, you know within the limits of the law. Um, but you know what comes with that is the flip side of the benefits. So, trust me, if anybody's taking advantage of anybody, it's the veteran that's been taken advantage of by his country, although willingly. With, with that being said, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, you've been listening to America's Web Radio and remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. Phil, as always, thank you, and I look forward to next week. Thank you, David. Bye-bye. Goodbye. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.